0: Michelle, right? And I am Angie And Welcome to
1: the Master Class. That's where we end today. This is exciting. 202 Creates Hit me up and say, Angie, we got to be a part of this master class. And I said, Well, well, who am I? The what master am I with? They said Michelle Wright, and I said, Oh, this is definitely what I'm here for.
0: <laughs> well, I was going to be here the same way, little sis. You know. And shout out to Mayor Muriel Bowser and Director Angie Gates for allowing us to celebrate, support, and educate the district's creatives through 202 Creates. I'm just excited about this, so let's get to it. Yes,
1: I am, I am ready and. Um, You know, it's funny because you always got to start off with the with the how did we come to be. Um, But I guess we start off with reading bios. You should I read your bio? Oh, you know what? I mean, if you want. want. (laughs) Because my my beginner story has you in it. So um, so I I will start with uh, the great Michelle Wright here, who I have the pleasure of doing this class with Washington, D.C. She hosts a daily series. XM show on the Heart and Soul channel. She's the voice of their classical music channel. Uh, One of the best voices I've ever heard on radio, man. Symphony Hall and hosts uh, various specials for Pandora Music. Michelle is co-host and producer of the popular district cable network show The 202. Uh, Her one-on-one interview with legendary R&B group BBD won an Emmy Award for Outstanding Interview. It was the very first Emmy Award for uh, Washington, D.C.'s office of cable television film music and entertainment years of service and commitment to the community she's received the capital cadillac standard of living award the women of prince george's community outreach award a media innovator award billboard pro and n-a-t-o-a award for excellence she currently serves on the board of the peggy beatrice foundation the one the only michelle Wright.
0: All right, let me do my curtsy now, my curtsy now. <laughs> Angie Ange, when I tell you about Angie Ange, reading this entire bio, it would take up uh, the majority of our time here, but I'll start a little bit. Uh, from a dreamer at Howard University to a voice heard around the country on the nationally syndicated morning hustle. She is to me, uh, she epitomizes strong black lead. You see that hashtag trending everywhere. Angie Ange has been there and been that from the moment I met her many, many years ago um, at a radio station that we were at together. Uh, she's a motivator. Um, she's been, you know, just just read the bio and, and get, you know, Google her, uh, as they say, and you'll learn a whole lot more about Angie Ange. Again, it would take me too long to read all these paragraphs about you and your greatness, but I am really uh, excited and proud and honored to be here with you for this masterclass today. Absolutely. And I know had it not been for you when I first started, I I don't know
1: if I would have had the mental toughness to deal in the radio industry without mentors like yourself and DJ Flex and Adimu who kind of got me up, um, got schooled me up when I was just an intern. But how did you uh, get started? I think this is a question I've never asked you, actually, how you actually got into radio.
0: Well, um, I was on my way um, to go to law school, actually. I was studying um, to to take the LSAT, and um, after undergrad, that was my dad's intent for me, to go to law school. Um, And I was writing for a small newspaper called the Columbia Flyer in Columbia, Maryland. And I remember uh, growing up, listening to radio, and of course, I listened to my heroes like Donnie Simpson and Melvin Lindsay. However, I never thought that I could be that. I loved loved radio and loved hearing them, but I thought they just were um, just the personification of cool in every way. And I thought, well, you know, I'm not that cool. I'm not sure if I could do that. However, um, when I was writing for this paper in Columbia Flyer, I remember um, hearing this radio station that was a rebrand of an old radio station, WPGC. And I remember hearing all of the air talent just come on the radio and start talking. And I was used to being hearing things so uh perfect in, in informatics, you know, call letters and you know, your, your spiel and really, really quick. And I actually heard people talking to me. And I hear this guy going, Whoa, that song was killer. And That's when it hit me. You know how they say you get your aha when you get your aha? Mm I
1: had
0: my aha hearing this guy named LBD just being crazy on the radio. And I was like, I got to do that. And I've told this story and shared this with students when I taught classes, et cetera. Um, But I started then on a mission to study and learn about radio and the business and figure a way to do what that guy was doing. So I became his phone friend on the request line. And I started learning. And that led to me getting uh, in to come in three nights a week, uh, midnight to 530 a.m. to learn the the operating systems and to learn radio.
1: Wow. That's amazing.
0: Yeah.
1: With the great LBD. It's me. It's me. It's
0: LBD. That's right. That's right. right. (laughs) And, And in your beginnings, my dear.
1: Yeah, I was. So I, I was saying, like, I mean, you listen to the Donnie Simpsons and for us, it was going to school, uh listening to Russ Parr. The the bus driver would have Russ Parr and Olivia Fox on and they were just so funny in the morning. But if I drove in a car with my mom, she'd listen to Donnie Simpson or Tom Joyner. So, you know, my radio experience was a combination of hearing. It's your world like it was like this. um drama that that Tom the Turner, yeah and so I would I would run to the door as she's getting dressed because I couldn't I knew I could I better not go in that room while she's getting ready for work but I would go to the door and just to hear it's your world because it was just such a funny thing and then at the end of all the fake drama Tom Joyner would always come on and be like and be like dum, dum, dum. and be like well wow. and then he would say something <laughs> silly and stupid about this show and then if I got in the car with my mom and we're driving into D.C. or what have you, it was always Donnie Simpson, you know, and he just had the coolest voice. And so then like at home when I'm doing homework and when I would come home from school, the first thing I would do is turn on the afternoons when I got home to listen to the Fat 4 at 4 with demo. I listened to the Fat 4 at 4 with demo. and then... Um, everything was about Tigger and the live squad. So I would <laughs> and forth to the stations and, and I, I just knew like, I could feel myself doing what Tigger was doing. That's the one thing I remember was thinking like anything he said, I would do anything he said. I was like, that is me. I thought I was him and he was me almost. And I remember I met him at my, at a high school football game um, at High Point High School he was in this big blue truck broadcasting live and he comes out and it's like yo he's real and he just looked down you know he's like standing on this thing looks down and just kind of smiles at me and I was just like oh my god Tigger you know everybody loved Big Tigger and um, but I just I always felt that like that was me for so it was the, it's the weirdest thing like I felt like I could do that but I didn't know it was a real job so I was much like you. My my mother's an attorney, so I wanted to do anything she did. So she went to Howard. I wanted to go to Howard. She was an attorney. I was going to be an attorney. And, um, but when you live with an attorney, the first thing you notice is all they do is read. And um, I remember asking her like, when do we get to do the matlock? Like when we when do you do the ca- cases? When I get to argue, you know, when I get to go to court and argue and fight. And she's like, "Well, most of it is reading." And at, at that point I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, law's not for me." Cuz I don't like to read that much. Like the way she would read, she read all the time. Right. And um and I was like, "Well, no, law's not going to be for me. I wanted to do more talking and Um, when I found out that radio was something that you could make a living off of, that you could get paid for, I knew that's what I was going to do. So I made that decision by high school that I was going to be on the radio. I was going to be big Tigger. That was my thing. I'm going to be big Tigger and then I'm going to have a syndicated radio show like Russ Parr. That was going to be, that was the game plan in like 10th, 11th grade. And so every decision after that was all strategy on how to get on radio. And so I thought I would go to Syracuse University at first because they had a really good journalism program. And then I learned that they had crazy snow levels that I couldn't handle. So that was out after I did a lot to get into their school. Um, and then there was University of Maryland, uh, which was down the street from where I was kind of where I grew up at. And then there was Howard. And at first I was like, well, I don't want to go to Howard. I felt like being for Prince George's County. Um, everything was was so black. And then growing up, my my parents are from DC, my grandparents in DC. So I was told that I just had some weird assumption that like going to a black school didn't make sense if you're from a black area because it wasn't realistic. That I was I was convinced that I, did, I I needed to be around white people so I can learn how to work in this white world that I'm gonna be living in which is ridiculous because then I end up working for a black company. But, uh, you know, I went to a black school, black company from a black area. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was a warped sense of of like, you know, reality, I think, just making up stuff that wasn't really true. And
0: but, you know, it's, it's all good that, you know, you knew early. What I knew early. You know, yeah. You know, I and, at first, you know, and I, I went to Duke Ellington Performing Arts High School. <laughs> so I went from, you know, I kept changing my mind about what I was going to do. I was gonna to go to Broadway. Um, I was a musician, I played in bands, I wrote music, I performed, I went on the road for a while. So I was gonna do that, you know, And then I did all over. And then, you know, what's amazing is how our worlds collide and how all these dots connected because um, I talked about LBD and PGC and you talked about Donnie and, I, and we've both gotten to work with these people and Big Tigger, one of the ways that he got on was being immensely creative that LBD mm-hmm. would put him on the spot uh, because Tigger, he's just so gifted in so many ways and he can rhyme, he can just like off the top. And LBD would say, okay, these are the things that are going on at the station. Mm-hmm. I need you within this 60 second window, rhyme everything wow. that's going on in the station, on the spot, Tigger would do that. I wow. mean, so it was clear, it was evident from the beginning for a lot of us that Big Tigger's is a star and he needs to be on the radio. And that's kind of his beginnings as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing how it all connects because I eventually, as I was interning, he came back and, um, after Ademu, I started under Ademu and, and that was amazing. And Ademu was the professional. He was like the ultimate professional. So right. he was, he was so smart and so smooth with how he, how he operated within the industry. Yes. And then, um, he brought me to Flex, who was the master of the game. He was my sensei. Yeah, that's right. He, yeah, he was the Mister Miyagi. So he <laughs> had me with the wax
0: on, wax off. ever since. You know.
1: Yeah. So he really, he really showed me that, like, you know, it's not even, it's not even the talent. You know, it really was a game, and that was what's really frustrating, especially as a woman trying to play a game that these men are playing, yeah. and and the lack of, you know respect either you got to try to be one of them and if you can't be one of them and you're yourself then it's like the misunderstanding of of everything and i remember like i would get to points where i'd be crying and stuff and flex would always be like you got to toughen up you got love, you got you got uh he said your your skin is too soft you got to tighten up you know i was like i'm just trying to win like i'm just trying to do everything i can and like everyone was playing this game everything was about playing a game and you're thinking why do I have to play a game? Like, why can't it just be off the merit of I'm talented. I love what I do. Like, and then there was you and you were the calm. You were the most peaceful person in the, in the place who it wasn't about the game. It was just about like telling me to kind of keep going like that, that you can do that, that you can do this. And I think that meant a lot, especially because I was always around men minus you and rain, essentially and Rain was trying to navigate that space as well. So she, there was only but so much she could do too. And then there was you who kind of had that, that piece, like, you know, like, ain't nothing they can do to, to stop what you got going on. Like, you're about to get wherever you're supposed to get. And that really meant a lot in a time where it just felt like one wrong move and you're out of the whole game and you don't even know what you did.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, and it was clear that as women, we need each other. And noticing and realizing you were taught by some of the OGs and the, ma- the males uh, in a different way than I was protected and, and taught, you know, shout out to people like uh, Big Tigger that he always um, looked out for me along the way. I mean, we both went to the University of Maryland. And I think he knew he wanted to be in entertainment then. But, you know, again, I was on that academic path for a while. But Big Tigger, every time he got put on. I, I, I just gotta give him love, he would put me on. Like when he had his syndicated show, Live in the Den, he mm-hmm. was like, um, I'm gonna have you do a couple of features. I know you write, I know you do this, I know you do that. And I mean, he just, again, along the way, Big Tigger has looked out for me in so many ways. And so many of the males uh, in the industry have looked out for me in that regard. They didn't tell me game because they saw I had this quiet cool that I was I was stoic and I was focused on yep. uh, doing what I got had to do. And I think they knew that. And they were like, okay, well, you know what? Um, here's this opportunity, though. Yeah. You know? And, yeah. and a, a lot of the game is about opportunity and taking advantage of the opportunity. Now, Michelle, you've been in the game for, for quite some
1: time. Like, you, you have you years in in it, how do you stay creative? What is that creative process like? And how have you seen just radio evolve and change, especially when it comes to like how everything is moving into a digital space? How do you stay creative and evolve yourself?
0: Well, one of the things uh, in the digital space, um, we weren't gonna stop that. And I remember years ago when I was at PGC and I'd heard about satellite radio, Mm -hmm. more dots for you, right? And I remember people were discouraging me and, you know, there's going to be all always be someone around to discourage you from anything that has gotten your attention. And I said, this satellite thing, this is amazing because people can hear me all over the world from one location. And I was always fascinated with technology anyway. And so being attracted to that and finding my way into satellite radio early You know, I had to get my foot in the door. And once I get my foot in the door, I try to not leave um, with everything when I kind of, you know, want to maneuver around a little bit. Um, But, you know, being at at SiriusXM, uh, we're always about technology anyway. So I've always been, you know, up on trends and up on whatever is going on in in the digital space. But um, being in this game for so long, the the transitions, um, one of the biggest thing is that Uh, personalities uh, to me have less and less of an opportunity to be personalities and to garner control and um, to really kind of, you know, take their audience with them wherever they go. There was a time that when you move, they'd move. Mm. Um, The audience, I think, has been trained um, with disposability. Totally. That, That there's plug and play going on. Yeah. Because I remember a time in the beginning of radio where I could decide some of the music I would play on my show. Mm. I could decide. I could say, you know what? Oh, my goodness. Uh, there's this group called Daz Effects, and the song is so good. You know, let me play that. All right. Try it. Or, you know, th- you know, it, it was different. Now, Michelle, one of the big things I know, this is when I know people don't
1: know radio is when they're asking you to play their song or play this song or play that song. Lord, a lot of people don't know for those who aren't in the industry, like as talent, we don't have control. I've never known that feeling of being able to just pick a record and play it. Uh, In my career, it's always been controlled by um, our program directors. And so they're the ones who put the music together every day. When you you come up to me and say, why do y'all play the same five songs every day, all day? It's not me, I'm not playing any of that well I am but I'm uh, it's programmed from the program director um so to your point like I, I thought I always thought that was amazing I, when I did overnights which was like 2 a.m to 6 a.m shift which is right before Donnie Simpson I would watch Donnie come in and he'd look at the playlist you know for the day or the morning and be like nope not playing that not playing that I plan he'll be like put that Stevie Wonder on and it would just be like I'm "Like you can do that um but he could do that but uh, no one else, you better not mess with or manipulate the the music, right? And it's all about playing the hits, just playing the hits.
0: Exactly. And don't get me wrong, I could never do it to the extent that Donnie Simpson did. But, <laughs> um, you know, in, in the early 90s, um, mm-hmm. that was an era where um, program directors, programmers understood that your taste was part of your personality. Mm. So that, you know, my taste in music and vibe, because, you know, that, that's to me um, part of what my career was built on, the vibe. You get a certain vibe when yeah. you listen to me and you're going to feel good and you're going to, you know, ride and you're going to discover some things and, you know, just vibe. So mm-hmm. that um, if I'm given options, if they're saying um, there are these uh, five new artists and um, among those five new artists, there are five current artists. And so you have 10 songs decide which ones you want to play this hour oh. i could do that you know and then okay. they said okay so it's time to remi- reminisce um what what's your vibe i'm like you know what today it's feeling kind of whatever and you know i'm looking out the window you know what i think i want to play this you know let's drop some phyllis Hyman. Uh-huh. you know how to love me and of course i miss that however i understand how the business of radio Has changed things and everything being a business, everything has a dictate. And that dictate is tied to technology. So, you know, the technology has its pluses and minuses, Mm -hmm. um, but we couldn't stop this evolution. Uh, We just have to find ways to exist in it. Like when um, things changed from the handwritten diary to uh, record ratings for stations to, um, you know, the monitors and you had to condense your time you know uh, i remember a lot of um or you, you couldn't talk as long you know your breaks had to be shortened yeah. i remember a lot of uh my friends in radio they'd be complaining they're like oh man they're just trying to shut me up whatever i was like no they're forcing you to be more creative because mm-hmm. then you have to find better ways and more concise ways to be you and to get yeah. that across you yeah. know
1: yeah looking at 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 those restrictions a lot of times as like obstacles finding your way around it Um, And and that requires the ultimate creativity. And so I think when you get into your head about what they're not letting you do, what they're not allowing uh, or feeling like they're trying to stop you, um, then you inadvertently you kind of stop yourself. But when you look at it as, okay, they can't stop me. And uh, okay, this is the restriction. This is what I can do around it. You'll find that you actually elevate your talent, elevates in such ways that, that that's how you stay in the game longer is is that ability to evolve would you say michelle too i'm curious about this from your perspective the ability to continue to stay connected with your audience because of social media one of my biggest gripes with radio used to be when they would just up and fire somebody and like today i'm listening to you and then tomorrow it's like the person never existed There was never like, very rarely does a radio personality get to say goodbye. It's just, I would listen and the next day somebody else would be on or music would be playing and they just act like you never existed. But it feels like having social media and having your following, you can in some ways continue to engage them through your other moves. What say you on that?
0: Yeah, I agree completely on that. And one of the other things I would say is that I would suggest to not get so caught up in call letters, companies, uh, because those things cannot love you back. They, They just can't and they won't. So that there is an art to the deal. And at your beginnings, when someone is trying to entice you to belong to them, that's when you ask for that thing that you think has been elusive and that you think is important to you. Think about your exit strategy. I would advise that whenever you do a new deal, you talk about an address then that way out. Mm. So while you're talking about how much am I going to get paid? You know, what shift am I going to have? You say, whatever, you give me that tap on the shoulder and say, this is it. Let me say goodbye. Mm. I want that as part of my deal. I want to be able to say goodbye.
1: Yeah.
0: You both come to terms on, you know, making sure, of course, that your professional is going to be respectful, whatever, but you're not going to get what you don't ask for. Yeah. So if you don't ask to be able to say goodbye, you're not going to get to say goodbye. Again, they're never going to tap you on the shoulder and say, this is coming in two weeks. No. <laughs> your, your, your email access is, you know, just gone. <laughs> your car doesn't open that door anymore. You know, it's just over.
1: Yeah, and they're escorting you downstairs with security as if you didn't just work there for 10 years.
0: (laughs) No, but, but, you know, as a process, you know, sometimes it's, I've always told students as well that um, in industry, especially entertainment industry, um, you got to think of it as um, a balloon. Pulls the power, blows that air into the balloon, but they never tie the end, they hold on to it. Mm-hmm. because whenever they want, they release it and then you flutter all over the place. Mm-hmm. There is, you know, some embarrassment, you know, and all that kind of stuff and the displays, the way that things are handled when you're in the public eye. Yeah. But that's the game.
1: That's the game. And, and speaking of the game too, Michelle, like one of the hardest parts within the game is what happens when the game is kind of over for the day, right? Which is about ba- the balance of it all, right? Trying to balance work, life, um, personal life, family life. How have you been able to do that throughout your career um, in terms of keeping balance and keeping yourself just in a peaceful place? Because again, you're the, probably the coolest person, uh, the calmest, coolest person. It could be everyone's on fire. It could be a whole tornado and you still manage to at all times just keep things together. How have, How do you do that? How do you keep your mental health in in a good space in a, in an industry where like things are always just ever changing and control is usually the name of the game with management and all these other things. How do you balance it all?
0: Well, I try to remind myself that this doesn't belong to me. So whatever shift I get, whatever job, it's not mine. It's, um, something I get to do on a temporary basis. And then I also, um, from an early age, I, I, I knew to listen to myself. Uh, it's like, When you um, eat the wrong thing and you get sick, Mm. you know, that's your body taking care of itself, saying, ooh, had to get this stuff out of your system. So I pay attention to my needs and have always, and I think that's what you should do in any industry. You pay attention to those times where you're feeling like, ooh, I'm kind of edgy. Ooh, I snapped at you know, my colleague. Ooh, you know what? It's time for me to take a break. And then you take it. And you remember that, you don't owe anyone an explanation. Uh, You can't know what's in my head unless I tell you. So you keep things to yourself and you just remember where you work is where you work. Mm. And your family is everything. And your family understands that they may not get the majority of their time, but you on darn sure give them some of your time. You know, you just you find ways because sometimes, you know, there'll be things that take up the majority of your time and sometimes they'll be less. And then those scales will tip, you know, and go back and forth. So you, you just find your way by listening to yourself. How do, how do you do it? How do you balance? You know, I'm still learning. I got to be
1: honest. The last the last four years have been such an imbalance in life compared to the first. 10 years in radio right and that's with all the obstacles you had your daily obstacles and things but I had never experienced what I've experienced in the last four years in terms of like you know the morning show just like blowing up the way it did and then I thought I was coming in to like help out and that turned into oh let's move you from afternoons to mornings which I really just did not want to do because I felt you know, as you get into the industry and you learn it, you do start to see like, this is what I want to deal with. This is what I don't want to deal with. And, you know, yeah, maybe when I was a kid, I wanted to be Russ But At this point in my life, I was really happy in the afternoon. Afternoons, I had control. It's like you said, I had a vibe that I could create, especially with the mixes being analyzed. We doing on Twerk Something Tuesday, like I was in a really good space. Mm-hmm. And then comes the morning show and I did not want to do it. But I also knew that if I didn't, who would, you know, and I also knew that they they hadn't let, you know, a woman lead a morning show in hip hop and and at least in the DMV area from from what I've grown up listed to. So I felt like, okay, this is a big deal, a big opportunity. And I took it and life just was so unbalanced because everything I knew I didn't want to deal with. Now I had the responsibility of dealing with when you have your especially when it's your own morning show it's named after you. Um, everybody's coming for you. It was almost like, it was like, how dare you have a show named after you? How dare you want to be this great? And it just became like, I was just like, well, damn, I thought, I thought it was a good, did y'all do this to Rush Party? Do this to Donnie Simpson? I thought you loved me. It's like, we love you, but you can't have this type of power. You or you know, we don't, we got, we're going in this direction, that direction. And it was just like, their, I felt like their lack of knowing what they wanted just be, like, I got wrapped into that. And then, um, you know, when it then became, well, we're going to do the Morning Hustle. We're going to do syndicated. And then it became, we're going to move you to Atlanta. And I was just like, wait, what? Like, I didn't spend all this time building with, I'm a local person. Like, I love local radio. I love where I'm from. So I'm very invested in that. And so when you tell me, like, it's like, this is the direction we're going in. You going to take it? or you can be gone, you know, it wasn't really in between. So I just had to keep rolling, right? So now I'm just constantly going with things that I know are not in alignment with who I am. They're not in alignment with what I've done. Um, At the same time though, I felt like God was working though. So I didn't know what, why it was happening or what was happening, but I could feel God was working. And I think he had to make me so uncomfortable Um, to learn that, like, you got to make a move, you got to, you got to, like, there's a reason you have acquired these skill sets, there's a reason you done got to this space, now I need you to really find yourself again, so I'm still trying to learn the balance, because in trying to accommodate the company, I lost so much of myself, and it's one of the, it's not a regret, but it's something that I think about constantly, because I don't regret the decisions I've had to make, But I also asked myself, like, don't I told myself, don't ever put yourself in a situation where you're just going along with everybody, especially when they don't know what they're trying to do. They didn't have direction. Right. For me to follow somebody who does not have direction. That's a person, a company, anything like I'll never do that again. If they don't have that direction, like I have to be strong enough to say, okay. Let me find my direction. And it may not be the most popular opinion. You may have to make sacrifices, but don't just be going along thinking like you don't have choices because they'll also make you feel like that. And when you feel like you have to be so committed to them and their establishment that you're no longer committed to yourself, you start to I've never lost family and friends, but. I couldn't feel myself like just being separated and being in Atlanta, I felt isolated. I felt like, you know, no balance. Cause I don't know anybody down here. I'm, I ain't never moved before. And it, that none of that mattered. Like it was just like, but we need you to execute on this syndicated plan. We got, you know, so it's, it's been
0: the job, the company, it won't love you back. It won't love you back. And, and that's love yourself more than yeah. all of that. And I tell you, we've been feeling you from afar. Sometimes, you know, when you get to different stages in life, because, you know, real quick, every 10 years, there's going to be somebody else on your neck, that next generation. <laughs> every 10 years, that the, new, the next generation is up, being on the neck of, of the ones that, you know, were um, kicking it then or whenever. You know, sometimes the positions you're put in, it's for somebody else. Mm, that's real. Somebody else. That's real. You and know? that goes back to what you
1: said about that exit strategy. And that was some great advice I got from one of my women leader mentors. She was just like, know your exit strategy. Like, okay, if this is where you at and you don't have a lot of time to make a decision, she was like, and you know, this may not be something you want to do long term. She was just like, know your exit strategy. And that helped me to be more strategic, even though I was going through like this whirlwind of like, again, everything just happened back to back to back. And then what they do is they put the pressure on you. So they say, that's right. decided you got to move to Atlanta in two weeks. You good?" And you're like, "Wait." Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, "We're gonna go head down there, find you an apartment, pick it out, move your whole life. You're good, right? You okay?" Because if you're not, you know, well, we'll try to figure it out, but no guarantees because this is what we're doing. And it was just like, "Dang!" Like, but that's what, when she told me to know my exit strategy. It did help me to to say, "Okay, let me let me step back." And let me, he goes back to playing the game. Let me figure out like how, how I'm going to use this to my benefit. And um, the biggest part of it was how do we financially make sure that we're good? Because ultimately, when this is your livelihood, there also isn't like these, it's not that easy to just walk away and say, forget this because it's not going the way I want it to go. So let that kind of transitions us into financial literacy. I know you're really into it.
0: Yeah, you too. But,
1: what type of, uh, yeah, I, I love financial literacy stuff. Um, what, what type of things have you been able to learn throughout your journey? Just, you know, cause radio can be extremely lucrative. And then, like you said, one minute you could be at the height of it financially and then see some financial lows. So talk to us a little bit about your financial literacy journey.
0: Well, um, I I've seen so much, you know, I've been around multimillionaires and I've been around people that you know, are, are barely making it on minimum wage. Of course, we develop relationships with celebrities and we see lifestyle and we get to live a bit of that lifestyle. You're, you're right, radio has given us a lot and we've gotten to see opulence and luxury, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and I really didn't look at it as seeing money though and seeing the opportunity to create and develop a pattern of money and creation of resources and assets to be able to share, which is important to me, until, I will never forget this, um, Donnie Simpson, um, who was one of my first close friends that was a millionaire. (laughs) Uh, You know, he mentored me too. And I I remember just being able to hang at his house and being like, wow, this is Donnie Simpson, I'm here. But I remember Donnie, he used to do these things when he left KYS and he came over to w, WPGC. And he used to um, share his world with us, hoping we would get it. He wasn't really gonna beat you over the head with it or say, you gotta do this, you gotta do this. He was like, I'm just gonna expose you to some things.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I remember Donna used to do things like talk about stocks, whereas everybody else was talking about, "Oh, we're gonna beat you at the club and we're gonna get our cash and we're gonna put it in the shoe box and whatever, whatever. Donnie was like, you know, there are these stocks, and I buy, you know, a certain number of shares of stocks per year. And, you know, I'm friends with um, uh, the president of Bank of America, whatever. And he had this guy come in, and anybody who wanted to, we could sit in and just learn about finances and that world. And this guy talked to us about stocks and everything. And I had my aha then because Donnie told us that what he would buy and um, the reasons he would buy certain companies. And I remember it was me and Chris Paul were in there, shout out to Chris Paul and Huggy Lowdown and a couple of other people, everybody didn't wanna want to attend. Um, and uh, Chris said to me, he said, oh, we don't have it like Donnie, we can't afford to buy any stocks. Mm. And in that moment, man, that, that brilliant sight of me just kicked in and I said, but it's relative. I was like, if he can buy a hundred thousand shares, you know, with our bonuses, we could buy a hundred shares. Mm. And from that point on, I used to think about everything in the financial world in terms of relativity. Mm. And I was like, do what you can where you are and, yeah. then, and then share it. Because, again, one of the things that is so important to me is to see us as a people develop a pattern and practice of, you uh, owning, controlling resources to create an economy and to share it with each other and to pass it down generation to generation and generation. So um, from there, back then in the early 90s, um, because one of my first computers that I bought for myself was an Apple computer, I started back then buying shares of Apple. Wow. Back then, I started buying shares of certain tech companies because I was into tech and I knew about um, the tech companies that made the parts that go into computers and things like that. And again, everything is relative. So I did it on my level, where I was. And again, that's a thing that I'll tell my students over and over again. You can do exactly what they're doing, those rich folk, but you do it where you are and you will still amass um, an amount of, of, of money. There'll still be a financial reward and benefit. But I'm just I'm so into that for my people and seeing that for for my people.
1: Yeah, no that's amazing. That's amazing that you guys saw saw that early on. I think I think there's something to be said about acquiring assets as early as you can yeah. um to see the and a lot of times you don't really see the the benefit in the first couple years, it's, it's, I always say it's after like the seven to 10 year mark that I really started to see uh, my, that compound interest start to really work on investments. And I think some of the smartest thing, I come from a family of um, CPAs, so financial advisors, and my aunt was a financial advisor. And I just, I would always keep it real simple. I'm like, auntie, how do I get rich? I just, I just need to get rich. like, You know, just how do I do that? Just show me like I could just put it in some some fund and it was good and I'd be rich tomorrow. And she would always tell me she would always say one thing every time I ask her how I'm supposed to get rich. She said, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. And that's what she would always tell me. It's not what you make, it's what you keep. And I, I didn't understand that until much further down the line when I was paying so much out in taxes that I had to learn about how to keep more of my money than goes out. But she showed me a lot of things. And then I had a mentor, Michelle Williams, at uh, Radio One. She was a general manager. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. As I was really because getting into radio, I just I fell in love with the, the whole thing of radio, not just being on the air, being a celebrity or star. I was into the business because Everybody that had the most money was not on the air. They were all the, either they were management or sales. Yeah,
0: yeah. I started
1: going back there. I'm like, I got to go where the money resides. So I'm back there in sales and management. And I got in real good with Michelle Williams. She loved me. And we start talk. we was talking about stocks. And this was before the recession. This is like 2007, right on the brink of the recession. And she would be like every day get the paper and look at the stocks. And this is when the stocks were literally in the paper. And you see that you see rate. I would always look at radio one, which was like eight cents at one point, like eight cents when it was really down. And I would look at the, you know, look at the companies and look at the prices. And I remember she would tell me the story about Blackberry. And she said, Blackberry, she said, we all got that one stock that got away. And so her stock was always Blackberry. And she would tell me the story how in the beginning at Radio One, they gave everybody these blackberries. This was before the Blackberry starts popping. And she's like, we didn't think we needed a Blackberry. Nobody wants the email on the phone and that type of thing. So she didn't invest in it. Well, of course, at that point, Blackberry had become the go, it was the iPhone before the iPhone, right? Everybody had a Blackberry, Blackberry Pit. And so she literally watched that stock like jump to the moon, but she didn't get in on it. And so she would keep it like in her drawer where she would just remind herself: like, don't let those days get away. It's kind of like you said when you know something about it or you see that it's going in a certain direction, go ahead and start wherever you're at. doesn't have to be that you get so much of it. Just get, get something right. and, uh, and get the ball moving. So, yeah, I mean, there are so many assets I've acquired in my twenties that at 37, I now am able, it, it has given me a level of freedom, um, yes. and the ability to make more choices and have more options. Um, because the first house I bought, I was, um, 23. And so now I'm seeing like, you know, I didn't see the value because it plummeted and everything during the recession. I bought it right before the recession and I didn't think it was worth anything. And now today it's like it's booming. It's thriving. And I rented out and I was able to get another house. And so, like, you know, those are all things that in that moment, I didn't always know what was going on. But like down the line, it's it's been great for creating options for myself where I don't have to worry so much about, oh, you have to have this job. You don't because you don't have any other choice but to keep making a paycheck. And um, so I, I think financial literacy is so important in the sense of if we can learn how to find more assets to get into, um, mm-hmm. whether it's stocks or real estate, or finding businesses that you can purchase that can cash flow, or being able to develop partnerships with other business owners who have experience. Perhaps you bring capital or credit to the table, or maybe you have experience and you meet people who have capital and credit. You know, there's so many ways that you can. Um, begin to build your network or build yourself up outside and acquire those assets to provide options down the line which is so important because at some point you're going to get to a place where you're going to need some options That's right. and and having assets definitely creates options
0: that's right it puts you in a place of freedom so that you can decide what you want to do rather than be dictated to you know and and one more thing I want to add to that is um, I want us to to see us get into the opportun- uh, into the habit of supporting each other. There are certain communities, certain uh, other types of people that they only um, buy within the market of who they are. Yeah. They buy from each other. If they have a car that needs tires, they'll go to someone in their community that makes tires and whatever. And I'd love to see us do more of that. You yeah. know. Yeah. Sometimes we go outside of our communities, you know, and we're like, okay, well, let me go and get this. like, no, this is how we build a real community and not just have, um, as Dr. Claude Anderson said in one of his books, not just have neighborhoods. That yeah. We have actual communities that are self-sustaining, self-supporting, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I definitely think we're getting there. The, tech, the beauty of the technology is people want to support Black-owned, they search yeah. for Black-owned, and it's like we're starting to get those words out. Shout out to my girl Angel from the Spice Suite, like I've watched her build Angel, up. that's it's my it's cream it's sister. It's, it's, yeah, it's so cool to see how she's developed this and built this community um, around her Spice Shop, yeah. and it's just like she's utilized social media to, to do that, and people want to support her from around the world, and, and it is like, you know, I wouldn't have known about it if it didn't pop up on my timeline. And then I was able to go and buy spices and stuff for for my grandma and for myself. And it was pretty, it's it's pretty awesome. Honestly, if someone said, I want to get in radio, Michelle, right? How do I do that? One, would you even recommend they try to get a radio job in this climate? Uh, And two, if so, talk talk to people a little bit about an air check and what that means to us in the radio world and, and how to prepare it.
0: An air check is um, an audio capture of your moments on the air. And it is usually um, under five minutes, or sometimes these days, uh, within a minute. But it is those times, those moments that you talk on the air, all captured and pieced together, uh, sort of like, um, I guess, a mix or something. Um, But I think these days, an air check uh, is not a requirement. Mm-hmm. um, to get on the radio or get into radio. And I think radio is just awesome. an excellent field because you can leverage, um, a position on the radio. It's just so many things mm-hmm. and being, um, on radio, in radio, in any media, it gets you an access to people and to things and to information that you wouldn't get that being an outsider. Um, but in air check, I just say, um, be yourself. It is so hard to be who you are these days uh, with so many restrictions and which the way that things are about business that, you know, used to be able to do things because, uh, or for the, for the love of it. Mm-hmm. Now you gotta do it for the next move.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. That's real, man. You said something there, like, yeah, going from, do- and I think that's been a big, um, learning experience or learning curve for me is I feel like I came into some doing something I love and like I was so passionate about. Like, I love the art of radio, mm-hmm. and now like I'm in a place where like, people just be doing whatever on the board, no one's saying anything. I mean, I come from an era where you would have messed up on a radio board or you'd have messed up a break, and somebody's on that phone and you like, what was because it? Because they- nobody cares. Yeah, no. <laughs> I was like, I just spent all these years mastering this craft, this art that I so love. And anybody can get on here and just do anything, say anything, mess up anything, edit however. The audio, no one cares how audio sounds. And it's like, hey, it's content. Everything is well was good content. So it's
0: a win. And I'm just like, dang. All those kind of old schools <laughs> and ways we were taught, a lot of those are out the window. You can have out. conversation <laughs> with the newer, real youngins about <laughs> quality, about passion, about the art of it, because they don't care and it doesn't (laughs) matter anymore. And what they hear is like, that doesn't matter. They'll notice that you were sharp, you were concise, that you got right. and that you know it, it was you were witty or whatever. They're not going to notice. They're like, did you go viral?
1: Is it on the shade room? Did you get on Baller Alert? And I'm like, that's the win. That, that's how I know I was. Like that's what that's that is what means success is that I got on that shade room and I'm getting fried. Yes, yes. and I'm like, wow. But that told me, like you know okay, you're getting to a point where you're going to have to transition. Yeah, And I don't know if you ever thought about management, uh, Michelle, but I know at one point I got into a program here at radio one, um, which is an incredible program for, for managers. Yeah. And they gave me an exception. I wasn't a manager, but like, I was like the team leader. So, you know, I, I was kind of like in that space, I think, to kind of, I think they felt like I could do management or whatnot. And so I got into the program, incredible program about how to be just a good manager, a good leader. You know, a manager is like a coach, essentially. And you're there to really guide and support your team through setbacks, guide and support your team um, in their careers and whatnot. And, um, you know, I just remember thinking like, man, this is is really cool. I like the idea of, of being like a coach. Um, in a lot of ways, because I didn't really care so much about this idea of being the talking head or trying to go viral on the shade room. Like I more so cared about like maintaining the quality and the ethic of talent so that and increasing our value in a way where like we can continue to capitalize. So have you ever thought about management? And uh, if so, like, you know, what would that what does that look like? What's good and bad in management for you?
0: Well, um, in terms of being a manager with a company, um, I've explored that route a couple of times and certain aspects of it were just unappetizing for me. Yeah. Um, you know, like you said earlier, the radio business, I mean, it is a game and being a manager, there's a type of gaming that goes on and that has to go on that. I just don't personally want any parts of. Gotcha um, I am more inclined to, um, uh, just care for my people in a certain way. And let you know, you know what, I'm not going to, uh, go along with this. And so rather than not going along with it and bucking the system, I I shouldn't go in that area because again, there, there there's certain things, you know, how managers, you know, they'll operate. They're like, you know, there's, they're void of compassion, void of, I mean, just every kind of feeling like, well, this is the way it works. And this is how it does. I don't care that, you know, mama just died. uh, This happened, whatever, this has got to be done. And that part of those things with management is not good for me. So I prefer, I love coaching and I love teaching the two things that I still do and always have done. So that's more of it for me.
1: Yeah. How do you kind of manage your managers. I think this is an important lesson for anybody watching in whatever field you're in because, you know, with radio, the people come and go from talent to management as well. So I'm sure you've had many, a program director, many different types of managers. How how do you navigate or how have you dealt with your management and manage your management? What would you say to that?
0: Well, I have to just pay attention to the cues they give me because you're right, things change. And when one management team um, is the team that you came in under, Mm. if that management team changes, things could change for you. Totally. So you just got to keep your eyes and ears open and, you know, be aware of things um, and understand and recognize. And, um, you know, people have different styles. I know the particular styles that um, I'm, you know, more amenable to and the, the styles that I'm not crazy about. So um I you know you just do what you have to do and stay out of the way but you know the beauty about how I am able to do what I still do to this day is that um we kind of manage ourselves. Yep. You know um so I appreciate that.
1: <laughs> and and what would you like to see change in the media entertainment industry, you know, how can the media be more supportive of of talent and um you know of of upcoming talent as well?
0: I think um, it's the individual's responsibility. Hmm. Um, Media doesn't really have a responsibility to the individual, even though we want them to, we would like them to. um, But the way that things are now that you can create anything you want, you don't have to wait on anyone um, to allow you to do something. You want to create a show, you go ahead and start on YouTube. You want to talk to someone, you know, kick off a podcast. There are tools, free tools, so that anyone can do that at any time. So um, I see people doing it for themselves, and that is the way the world works. Um, Nobody's going to come along and rescue you if someone does happen to, you know, give you an opportunity or give you Linda a helping hand. That's wonderful. And, you know, it's great that we do that for each other, but you, you got to do it for yourself. You can't expect media or rely on media to do it for you. Yeah, no, I agree.
1: I, I've always felt like technology is the great equalizer right now, whether it's wealth, opportunity, technology is the equalizer and kudos to you for always being on the forefront of interest in terms of technology and delving into it and staying on top of it. Like you said, like you're one of the first people I know that was doing like serious XM when, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't what it is today and you've, you've grown in that. And so, um, yeah, I think the technology space, the, if you focus on the technology behind whatever it is you're doing, whether it's music, whether it's radio, production, if you really focus on, again, finding those tools and getting yourself started, you really don't need any anybody or anything. You, could, you just got to have a desire and get started and be able to try to ride out consistently. You know, that's the goal, too, is the consistency of it. It's, I can't tell you how many podcasts I've produced where everybody's always excited. You know, they're excited to be on this microphone and be a talking head and do what they just watched on Instagram. But by like, I always tell people, I'll give you ten episodes because I'll produce and create podcasts and help with development and stuff, and I'll do consulting on them and whatnot. And I say, I'm with you for ten episodes. If you still want to do it after ten, all right. But most people, they by episode seven, they're over it. Right. You know, <laughs> sooner. or sooner sooner. if they i'm surprised when they get to episode seven and usually by episode eight nine ten we're barely in the game you know because again a lot of things look great on instagram and you see the success but you don't realize a lot of people who are so successful right now have been for years doing that joe rogan which is a name i hear all the time in podcasting right everyone talks about joe rogan people don't realize joe rogan was doing that joe rogan podcast before podcasting was was what it is today. And exactly. so he when you start and you stay consistent, it it's about writing it out until it does get to where where you can envision it being, but
0: let me tell you a huge example of that. Who uh-huh. to took advantage of social media, stay with it. Um I remember um from my friend, you know Pierre Johnson, maybe. Of course, Look, Pierre <laughs> Johnson. I remember Pierre Johnson went to her house to um, have his first tomato sandwich. Tabitha Brown has been consistent and stay on her darn journey and look at where she is now. I mean, Tabitha owns the world pretty much, you know. Another example is a young lady from the DMV area
1: named um, Alex L. And I remember Alex L, she, I started talking to her. She was just getting started. And her little daughter, Charlie, I think was like a baby when I first met Alex and she had such a passion for wanting to share how she had healed herself and mm-hmm. positive affirmation, and and wanting to do programs for young women and all this, she had these. You know, she just had things that she was doing, and next thing you know, she translated that into books, and she has this massive following on on um, on social media that allows her to tour the world and just being authentically who she is. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just amazing to see you know you you have people every day building their brands from scratch uh and i think as long as it's authentic to you there's like no heights like you it, forget having to be on the radio forget having to have a hit so many artists come to me talking about how do i get my song on the radio i'm just thinking yo if you would just focus on building your network building your group be big in your neighborhood be big in your community and then see where that goes I watch I watched Chance the Rapper before you ever had a hit sell out the Fillmore and I'm like yeah. how are these artists selling out venues with no radio records but that's where we're at now so it's just it's amazing what you can do if you focus authentically Uh, On creating for you and the people that will understand and relate to you, because it's only a matter of time if you're consistent. I've been investing heavily just into those tech platforms. Like I have a platform called Amped, A-M-P-D, um, which okay. is doing really, really well. It's only it's only like two years old. And, and that came to me from like a one of my producers who just came and he said, yo, I got an idea, but I need your support on it. Because he, he couldn't he knew he couldn't just go up to artists and ask them to perform right. for us, you know. So I became his partner on it, Zeppelin Tillman. I love that. Yeah, and we just, we started building off of his idea and I went and I would get the artists and I would reach out to all my record label people for help. And I would, I would, you know, a lot of artists, they gonna want me to mess with them anyway. So I would go to them and ask them to come do our platform. And in, in less than three years, what it's done, we now have a hub in Atlanta and DC and we're getting so many artists and we're so connected. And, and I deliberately did not put my name or my image or anything behind it because I didn't want people to look at it. As a radio thing or an Angie Ange thing, and that's a big thing I've been doing as of late. Is I've, I'm behind a lot of platforms. You never know, right. but because I'm, I, I try to support the entrepreneurs, that the visionaries. Like I just think they're so amazing, and they've got the energy that I no longer have. Um, yeah. But I, but what I do come with is connections and a little bit of, of brains now, just being in the business. But like to see what that platform has done for like artists. Um, in terms of getting them recognition, in terms of reigniting their careers, a lot of them had like, you know, they weren't creating anything and then they did AMP and it would get like millions of views and they're like, dang, I gotta get back on it. And it would reignite their, their career, you know, it, it would get them going. And just to see that, I'm like, man, this this technology it has got power You know, we can really create and and not have to um, rely on any major backing. And then eventually the major backing
0: does come, you know. Exactly. Which leads me to a question I want to just throw in here. Um, People ask me this all the time. Do you think that artists need radio any longer? No, <laughs>
1: not at all. It's, yeah. It, it depends. And it, it really, to me, I always say what what you want to be. You want to be U Street Music Hall. You want to be the Fillmore. You want Verizon Center. Like where, where are we going? Or Capital? What is it? Capitol Arena, what have you. Um, and that's what I that's kind of how I equate it is. There are many people. If you go back to the idea that it's not what you make, it's what you keep. It's not always about having all like the same type of platform as a Beyonce, right? If you know what you're doing with your your platform, your U Street Music Hall platform or your Fillmore platform, you can you can make so much off of it, out of it. You know, um, it's almost like each fan. How much is each fan willing to spend? On you per person and the beauty is there's so many ways to do that right whether it's a concert ticket a stream uh merch you know there, there's so many ways now for you to be successful um radio is just, i always say radio is verizon center and you you and or if you're going to get to the verizon center that's a whole different machine not to say that there aren't people who who jump in there from time to time you know we've had a couple you know, a will, a rapper, you, you'll have a couple that like slide through the cracks, but for the most part, radio is, is Verizon. So if you want that, you got to show me that you can sell out U street and Fillmore and Howard theater and all them places, then we can talk Verizon. But I, at this point I've watched so many successful artists, um, be do really, really well. And they've got no hits on, on the radio. That doesn't mean they don't want them. Yeah. Radio still is the is the again, it's the powerhouse. It changes the whole game. Right. Shaq Glizzy, I remember seeing Shaq Lizzie, uh, you know, radio, uh, you know, it's cool. Radio is cool. Uh, it won't you know, I'm making all this money. He, he didn't have like a big hit or whatever. Uh, and even this is after awesome. Awesome had done and awesome had got radio play and whatnot, but but not like crew. And then That's crew. Oh, my goodness. Crew did. It yep. changes his whole bank account. Right. So, so then he starts saying, I got to make hits for the radio. That's right. And um, and you start. So so I'm not going to discount the power right. of radio in terms of what it does to an artist. Ella is another one. Right. Everybody used to when boot up came out on the radio. There wasn't any young person I knew that wouldn't be like, man, I've been listening to this for the last two years. Right. That's right but it's not until boot up gets on the radio that she really catapults into full-fledged like major stardom. Right. So okay. so I still think again it's about levels. Radio is 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 still the the god of it, but do you have to have it in order to be a successful artist? Absolutely not.
0: You know what's uh weird? I remember um in the uh, maybe it was kind of mid to late 90s Um, Of course, now with social media and we're, you know, putting the word out about artists and we're trading information, everything. I remember how we would uh, call each other and we get on our Motorola two-pager to um, let each other know about different artists that Mm. were bubbling underground. Again, they didn't have any uh, radio hits or whatever. And that's how I discovered uh, an artist um, named Van Hunt, who Mm. is known now for Halle Berry's Man. But, you know, his (laughs) music, when it finally got to radio, I'm like, I've been digging Van Hump for years because I had a lot of friends um, overseas and in Canada and we would, you know, they'd inform me about music. I remember standing in a line at some small teeny tiny club in Baltimore to see him before he got on. And then he, of course, he wrote the Dion Ferris hit, Hopeless, but I just remember we used to tell each other about artists, you know, um, that were bubbling underground before they made radio and then they get in it. but now. Uh, it's all over social media. That's how it happens. And but they don't have to use radio to get there, to get their success.
1: Not at all. Michelle, this has been such a great masterclass. I, even to this day, just talking to you has been great. I always get a gem, always get several gems that keep me going. And I do appreciate you and all that you've done in this industry. And just for me, personally, I do always appreciate you and your words and everything, man. Well, thank you.
0: The Same to you. I appreciate you. You are a shining star. Um, people even on the outside, look at you and say, Angie Ange has been doing things the right way. You know, Mm -hmm. people, you know, they make mistakes along the way. They don't know what you're dealing with and what you go through. Um, but it it looks like you are making all the right moves. You're doing it the right way. And, uh, you're just such an example. Like I said, everything, every lesson isn't for you, not Mm -hmm. you alone. It's sometimes for somebody else. And, uh, there so many somebody else's out there um, get inspired by you and uh, get their drive by seeing you, by watching you.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for that. And, and as we wrap up, I'll end with the last question, which is if you weren't doing this, what would do you think you'd be doing? If you weren't in this wild game of media, radio entertainment,
0: what, what else do you think you'd have been doing? Uh, two things. I'd be a part of writing team for shows. Uh, that we see on Netflix, or even some of 50 Cent shows, I'd be a part of writing teams, putting those uh, shows and those uh, series and scenes and episodes together. Um, And or I'd be in music, I'd be on my keyboard, (laughs) um, sitting in some studio, writing a song. Um, You know, not necessarily singing, but Mm -hmm. you know, I'd be writing, I'd be making music, because music is one of those things to me that it just lasts forever. And it hits everyone, no matter who you are.
1: I'll tack it on to, to where I'm moving into what I'm doing. I think I would be in full entrepreneurial mode. I'd have multiple business endeavors moving. Um, right now I have a restaurant that I'm working on in downtown Silver Spring. It's where expectation used to be. Yeah, it's called we're gonna call it Miss Toya's Creole House. It's gonna be opening in the spring. Also, like I've really been doing just like again, managing and guiding talent. I always I feel like I'm I'm like a coach in a lot of ways. Just like I think I. I think the reason I've been able to do things right is because I've listened to people like yourself and Flex and Rain and Adimu Like, I'm really good at listening to people who are way smarter than me and, and applying that <laughs> to avoid a lot of mistakes. Um, so I feel like if I wasn't doing radio, um, I would definitely be full mode entrepreneur, opening up restaurants, managing talent. Um, and also producing, I produce podcasts, I distribute them as well, because a lot of people don't know how to get them on the platforms, produce and distribute podcasts, grow my media, my digital media company, and yeah, just be in a place of peace and prosperity and, and backing, supporting the next generation of talent, because as you said, Michelle, Every 10 years, there's this new crop of. they on, um, on your neck. Yeah. And, and I said, rather than have them on my neck, I'd rather, I'd rather prop them up
0: and just sit back, <laughs> sit back and let them do what they do because they got way more energy. So I'm so proud of you. Um, I'm hesitant to talk about the things that I'm doing <laughs> quietly because um, I've been burned in the past too many times, which is some huge, major, major, major things. So um, it still involves producing and writing. Uh, so just doing that, um, but you know what? There's something to say to be said about people named Angie in the radio business, like <laughs> like Angie Martinez, like Angela Yee, Angie mm-hmm. Ange. You are doing your thing. I am so so proud of you. I am beyond it actually. Uh, congratulations on the restaurant. Uh, is is it at Angie Ange or Angie on the mic? What is the social media? Oh, at Go Angie, all one
1: word on the gram. Real simple. I feel like I use Instagram a little bit more than Twitter. Twitter, I just be on there listening to people's uh, mind thoughtless thoughts and and finding articles and things that retweets so i don't i don't do twitter too much but i'm i'm on instagram a bit more so go angie all one word on the gram is where you can usually find me or you can go to my website 38 madisonmediacom
0: i love twitter i get a lot of information and laughs on twitter my twitter and instagram are the same uh get right media get right media um Wright is spelled with a W like my last name. Thank you, Angie. I love you. Thank
1: you, you, Michelle Wright. I love you as well. This has been the masterclass. Thank you to 202 Creates. Thank you to Mayor Muriel Bowser for providing these platforms for us to have these discussions. And hopefully, you got something great out of it.
0: Again, thank you, Mayor Muriel Bowser, 202 Creates, Angie Ange. It's me, Michelle Wright. Hey, yourself. See you.